Yeah, we're talking money today, so I brought a rope to hang myself. Is what that's all about right there. So we're all set to go. So taking a little pause on Ephesians, just to talk a little bit about things about why we do certain things in churches. Because churches can do some goofy things sometimes, so we just want to kind of define and highlight what some of those things are. And today and, to, and next week, we're going to talk a little bit about money. Because as you know, money talks, right? Money talks. But what if it could really talk? Like, what would it actually say to us? What, what would it, have you ever wondered, what would my money really whisper in my ear if money could really, really talk? Because if your money could talk, assuming your money is for us, assuming money was trying to help us, uh, I doubt we would be shocked. I doubt we'd be shocked at all about what money would tell us uh, on a day-to-day basis because I think we kind of already know. I think we kind of know what money would say to us. Um, if our money started talking to you right now, our response would probably be something like, yeah, I know. Or if it started talking to you, your response would probably be, yeah, I should have known. Or, nah, I shouldn't have, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. What would your money say if it could talk to you? And I think that if it was to talk to you, you probably would not be surprised by what it would say to you. We're doing this little mini-series on money, and we're going to see that what our money might say to us isn't really all that surprising whatsoever. The surprise is actually, and I think it's a pleasant surprise, is that I think there's actually a parallel between what your money might say to you if it could dock and what Jesus did say when he did talk about this topic. You probably already know that if you've grown around church, you've seen this kind of saying, Jesus said more about money than he did about heaven. He just used it a little bit differently. Jesus actually said there's more, he said more things about money than he actually talked about heaven. But what may be the surprise is because the way we preachers tend to talk about money is Jesus actually never asked for any money. He, he, he talked about it all the time, but he never asked for any money, except for one occasion that we know of where he asked to borrow a coin, and he did this little coin trick. Magic. No, he didn't. And he, he used this little coin as a bit of an illustration, and then the best we know, because we know Jesus, he probably gave it back. Uh, so why is that? Why is it that he talked about money all the time, but he never asked for money? What we're going to discover when we read the Gospels is that when it comes to money and it comes to possessions, Jesus really was up to something. He really was. He really was after something. He wanted something. But it turns out it wasn't anybody's money that he wanted. He talked about money to teach a different topic, to teach a different lesson about money, something different than money. So let's jump in. I'm going to jump into a story, and, and we're going to jump in. Now, if your money started talking, and if it really could talk, I think the one thing it would start off with that it would be sure to tell us is that when it comes to money, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. Money would remind us that it's a better means than it is an end. In fact, if you make money the end and not the means, you may end up mean and kind of lonely. But using money as a means to an end is what makes money meaningful. Now, this isn't a Christian thing we're talking about right now. It's kind of a thing thing. It's for everybody. Uh, 
But being a means to an end is what makes anything meaningful. That's why people don't buy those electric scooters. You know those electric scooters that, scooters that you see all over town, the kind of the green ones and the orange ones and stuff? No one ever really buys one. You ride one and you go like, this is the coolest thing ever. This is so much fun. I want one of those. But then you can never really come up with the reason why you should buy one. Because why would I do this? Because even though they're getting less and less expensive, next to nobody owns those electric scooters. It's too cold in Hamilton to ride those things. It's too wet in Hamilton to ride those things. Um, there's no cup holders for your coffee. Why would you buy one of those things? You'd have to wear a helmet, and then you'd have helmet hair when you go to work. So people are like, there's just no reason to buy this. You can't figure out the meaning to these things, so they become meaningless. They're fun. They're a little bit adventurous. But there's just no means. There's no means to an end here. So you hire one for about 10 minutes, twice a year. And that's how you do. See, the thing that makes anything or anyone meaningful is when that thing or that person becomes a means to an end. That's what it means to have meaning. That's actually what meaning actually means. And it's true for all of us. All of us. Um, if you want to have a meaningful life, you have to come up with a way of being a means to an end that actually goes beyond you, that goes beyond what you want. So here's what we're about to see. When you decide to be a means to an end, your money becomes a means rather than an end as well. That's how it affects our money. And you begin to view all of your money and you begin to view all of your possessions and all of your resources and all of your net worth, you begin to view everything as a tool, a tool to reach that end. And this is what Jesus taught in one of those, what, did he just say that? Did he just say that out loud with parables when it came to this topic? And we find it in Luke, Luke chapter 16. If you want to turn to your Bibles, Luke chapter 16, or flip it open on your flat screen. So we got Luke, first century doctor. He thoroughly investigated, it says. He investigated all these things that Jesus said and all these things that Jesus did and records for us several of Jesus' parables, several of his stories in what we now call the Gospel of Luke. And one of them is a parable about money and about possessions. So here's what Luke says. That Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples. Now, disciples was a big word, okay? Disciples was a general group of people, more than just the 12 apostles. It would have included those 12, but it was a wider group than that. He told his disciples, there was a rich man. Now, right away, his listeners are going, okay, here's one of those stories. Here's one of those. Jesus is like, hey, can I just tell you a story? It's like he's that guy, right? And so they know he's making up a story, but he knows he's gonna, they know he's going to make a point with this story because that's just kind of what he does. So he goes, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. There was a rich man that had so much to manage, he couldn't manage it all. So he had too much to do. He had too much to manage. So he hired a manager who bought and sold and traded all under his name, all in his name. And he got wind of the fact that this manager was doing deals on the side, right? And there was something dishonest about him that made him nervous. So Jesus continues. 
So he called the manager and basically calls him and goes, hey, what is this that I'm hearing? I'm hearing word on the street that you're not dealing with my stuff well at all. You're not being very accountable. You're not being honest. You're, you're not representing me well with my stuff. So he goes, what, what, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management. Get all the books together. Finish the little projects you're doing because you cannot be my manager any longer. And he fires him. He fires him. But before he lets him go, he says, look, you need to go tidy up. Tidy up the books. Finish all the loose ends so I can start fresh. Bring me the big, net, net, uh, the big notebook. Bring me the ledger. Give it to me when you're all done because then you're out of here. Because you can't be my manager any longer. So Jesus continues. And now the audience is kind of leaning in. Well, what's going to happen here? Because Jesus is a really good storyteller. And so he continues on. The manager said to himself, here's the key word, what shall I do now? Now. It's like, I wasn't expecting this. This came out of nowhere. I've been caught. What could I do? What should I do now? Because my master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm kind of a desk guy, you know. And I'm too ashamed to beg. I've got my pride. And then all of a sudden he finds himself with a little bit of time and a little bit of an opportunity to figure out what he's going to do about his future. And if anyone will take him in for another job coming up. So he thinks about it and he comes up with this idea. And Jesus continues... I know what I'll do so that when, when, because remember, this is about time, right? It's all about time. When I lose my job here, because I'm going to lose it, it will be gone, it will be finished, people, I will, people will welcome me, and, and to the, welcome me to their houses. So he comes up with this plan to make sure that when he's no longer employed by this rich guy, the master, that he will have some other place to go and have someone to go to. So he comes up with a plan, all right? Now, this is Jesus telling the story, and this is the plan he comes up with. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. His master probably had lots of debtors. It's a plural word here, debtors. And he gives uh, two illustrations of just two conversations that he's about to have with these debtors. And he calls each of them in, and these are all people who owed his master something, people that he was doing business with. And he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? And this gentleman says, well, I owe your master 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill and sit down quickly. Take your bill, sit down quickly. Sit down quickly before anybody sees. Sit down quickly before anybody finds out. Sit down quickly because I don't have a whole lot of time here. Sit down quickly and make it out for 450 and this guy's like, absolutely, you got a deal. And he's like, let's finish this thing up. This is amazing. Thank you. He goes, hey, look, if you ever need anything, just give me a call. Flip me a text. And, and he goes, the, and the manager goes, yeah, you know what? I, I just might do that. Well, then Jesus continues. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe my master? Well, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. And the guy goes, just 800? Well, yeah, let's just close this account out. That's a great deal. Let's just wrap things up. Wow, thank you. Man, thank you so much. Hey, look, look, if there's ever anything I could do for you, just let me know. And the manager's like, don't worry. You'll probably be hearing from me a little bit sooner than you think. See, the implication is that he did this over and over and over with all these different debtors. 
And, and because Jesus in this parable said that he went to each one of these people who had been a business with his manager, he settles all these accounts and, and so he can have all the accounts settled. He's just wrapping things up. And he gave everybody huge, huge discounts in order to do that. Now, in this parable, when his boss, the rich guy, finds out, the way Jesus says it, he says, the master, because the master's going to find out about this, right? He's going to look at the books. He's going to know what's going on. And everyone in the audience is thinking, oh, man, this guy's busted. This guy's going to jail for sure. And Jesus does what he always tends to do when he tells a story. He knew how to get his audience to lean in. And he knew how to just get them confused just enough that they're going to pay a little bit more attention. A little more attention. Discuss these kind of scrambled ideas that Jesus is laying out there. Pay attention just enough so that when Jesus brought it to application, they would go, oh. So they're listening to him and they're thinking, what is he trying to show us with this made-up story? Because remember in parables, in every parable, someone represents God. And in every parable, someone represents you and you and you and me and and, and all of us. So the people in this... uh, in this first century audience of Jesus, they assume that the dishonest money manager is about to get in really big, big trouble. And then Jesus says, the master commended the dishonest manager. He complimented him when he found out what happened. He smiled. He says, good one. High five. (laughs) Man, you got me. I didn't see that coming. That is so good. You got that. And Jesus has made up this story to make this point. And he says the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly, shrewdly. He praised him in this parable because this guy thought it through. He thought it through. He thought it through with the future in mind. He thought it through. He goes, you know what? I have limited opportunity, limited time, and I got to do something now. And Jesus' audience are going, what? They're so confused. What, what is this? He ripped off the master, and the master's giving him high fives and saying, good job. What is this going on? And Jesus ends the parable. Then he kind of steps out of the story, and he says, here's the point. And he goes, here's the lesson I want you to know from this parable. That in the kingdom of heaven, the way that God views wealth, the way he views money, the way he views possessions is a whole lot different than the way we view it. And he gives the listeners kind of an application, a take home, an application of the parable of the unjust, dishonest money manager. And Jesus goes on. For the people of this world, the people who live their lives as if this life right now is all there is, the people who live their lives as if a birth certificate and a death certificate frames their life and that's all there is, the people who live their lives in this world that are all about the dash that you see on their headstone at the cemetery when you see the date they were born, the date they were killed, and they just focus on the dash. The people that live as if all you see is all there is and all you get, the people of this world, Jesus says, are more shrewd. They are more thoughtful. They think things through a whole lot better. They are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind 
than are the people of the light. And in that context, the people of the light were the Jewish people, the people who know Yahweh, who have an eternal promise from God that God was going to do something fabulous through the nation. He said that the people who have all the covenants, the people who have all the promises of God, the people who, who know God's with them in all things, sometimes they're just not very thoughtful. They don't think things through. Not as well as the people just assume that all there is to life is right in front of him for the rest of their life. And that if there is a God, he's probably not too interested in my life. Those people are more shrewd, Jesus says, than the people who know God. Now to spread it out a little bit wider and bring it into 2023, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, for anyone who believes that there's more to life than just what's right now, that there's a life beyond this life, those of us who are supposed to live according to a broader, eternal context, Jesus says, the money manager, manager was commended for taking full advantage of his limited time and his limited opportunity. He was commended. He was praised. He was high-fived, not because he was dishonest. He was praised because he took full advantage of this little itty-bitty time he had with this little itty bitty opportunity. And Jesus' point for you and for me is that we're to do the same. That's the way we're supposed to do things. When it comes to our money, when it comes to our wealth, when it comes to our income, we're to view it within a context, not just of this life now, but in a broader, eternal context. So we're going to have to ask the question, how do I get maximum use out of it with my little itty-bitty time and my little itty-bitty opportunities that come my way on this little itty-bitty planet? How do we be like the manager? And then just so we don't miss it, Jesus kind of leans in and he gets very, very, very specific. And, and if we really understood the implications of what he's about to say, it would radically change our lives. It would radically, radically shape the way we do life, the way we make decisions, because Jesus gives this imperative. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, this is where you go, I don't have to pay attention to this. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have to do what I'm about to say. Because you're not following Jesus. Jesus doesn't have authority. You haven't given authority over your life to Jesus. But if you are a Jesus follower, and you have said Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and my leader, get ready for what he's about to say. And he leans in and he says, I tell you. He says, pay attention. I'm talking to you now. This isn't part of the story. Pay attention. I tell you. And then he uses this command. Use. Use. Why? Because, remember, money is a means to an end. It's not the end. It's a tool. He says, use worldly wealth, implying that there's another kind of wealth as well. He says, use worldly wealth, and this is the command, to gain friends for yourselves, like the money manager, so that when it's gone, because it will be gone, in fact, you will be gone, he's saying, 
you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. That made no sense to me whatsoever. What? But the implications of this is unmissable. See, the implications are that there's nothing that we can do with temporary wealth during this little itty-bitty slot of time that we have in this short-lived life that there is something we can do with that money, that temporary wealth, that makes an eternal difference. Something. Something about our money and our wealth and our possessions. Right now, there's something we can do that makes an eternal difference. And honestly, we shouldn't take that too seriously. We should like, oh yeah, whatever. Except for one thing. Jesus was crucified. He was killed. And then he was walking around again. He came back to life. And when someone predicts their own death and predicts their own resurrection and then pulls it off and has thousands of witnesses, whenever they talk about death and resurrection and eternal life, you and I should lean in and we should pay attention. And that's what he's doing here. So Luke is writing this account on the other side of resurrection. And he must have been thinking while he was recording what Jesus said, I know this sounds crazy, This sounds so crazy what he's saying right now, but clearly there is something to this because Jesus verified that there's an eternity, Uh, not through just his teaching, but through his life, through his life and his death and his life again, specifically through his resurrection. And, And here's the thing. This rope represents your eternal destiny, all right? This red part is our life here on earth. And it amazes me how we put so much focus and so much energy and we're like, okay, I'm going to work really, really hard and I can't wait to get to this part right here. This part right here would be good. I'm just going to work really, really hard. I'm going to put all my energy and all my time and work all my extra hours and save, 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 just so I can enjoy myself right here at the very end when I'm retired. And we put all this focus, just so we can get right here to this little bit here, and we put all this focus on, because when I get here, I know I want to live by the water, and I want to be able to eat, I want to be able to travel, so I'm going to kill myself this way, put all my focus energy here, right here, and we forget about, well, what about this? Millions and millions and millions. Millions of years that we will live for eternity. And everywhere in the Bible, it says that what you do here affects how you live this part out. Every aspect of it. Paul writes about this. He goes, I'm going to run my race to win. He goes, I'm not going to focus just on what I can make and how I can be more comfortable and how I can be, have enjoy life more. And stuff. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission from God so that when I cross this finish line right here between this world and the next, I can look God in the eyes and he's going to say, well done. You live for something bigger than yourself. And because of that, this is amazing. And this is amazing. And this is amazing. And this is amazing. And this is amazing. Your eternal destiny. But we get too focused on this. And it's not just money. And it's not just stuff. It's time. It's friendships. It's who you hang out with. It's who you don't hang out with. But what you do here affects all of this. 
over and over and over again. See, Jesus is getting really clear right here. His point is clear. Your money and your possessions, my money, my possessions, your time, my time, according to Jesus, money is a means. It's not an end. It's a means to an end that goes beyond us. It even goes beyond Jesus' life into eternity. See, the implication is that right now, your and my, all we have is today resources, have the potential to make a forever difference. You can't take it with you. We all hear that all the time. Can't take it with you. Can't take it with you. We hear that all the time, but there is a way for us to have something to show for it beyond the red part of our life and into the eternal part of life. It's a means to an end. Jesus says it's a tool. Now, if Jesus is right, and my guess is is probably right, it means that I should view and that you should view not a percentage of what you have is something you will make available for God, your Heavenly Father. It means we should view 100% of what we have as a potential means to an end. In other words, the question that we should begin to ask as followers of Jesus, and honestly, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's a question we should all ask anyway. The question we should all ask at some level is, how can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that's not me? That's not for me. That's not about me. How can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that is outside of what benefits just me? Because as you know already, and you have all had opportunity to experience just enough of this to know that when you do something for the sake of others, that's where joy is really found. That's where purpose is really found. Ironically, it's about to be money month in New Zealand, all of August. I did not plan this. It looks like I'm really, really smart. It was purely by accident. Money month in New Zealand is a campaign to help people better understand money management. It's sponsored by the Retirement Commission. And their website is full of different highlights and lessons and things. And highlights good management. And it says that good management makes decisions ahead of time about what percentage of your money will go towards things like living expenses, what percentage will go towards savings, and what percentage will go away to giving away, it says, to an important cause of your choosing. And here's why. And this is brilliant. This is, you're going to want to write this down. What I'm about to say is so brilliant. You ready? Write this down. The reason you should decide ahead of time what percentage of your income you want to live on is because you're going to live on a percentage of your income. Whoa, right? How deep is that? See, we all live on a percentage of our income. So why not choose that percentage instead of letting a lifestyle choose it for you? See, that's what shrewd thinking forward people do. They don't think about numbers of dollars. They think about percentage. And, and it works with stuff as well. It works with the stuff that you already own. Rachel and I have already decided, Rachel and I already decided that everything we own, we try to figure out how can we use it to help and support other people. We've been successful at times. We've been unsuccessful at times. 
Um, but like it chooses the way we choose our house. We try to choose a house that we live in for that purpose, extra space, extra rooms. Um, we've held a garage sale where everything was free. Just come and take what you want. Uh, we've given two cars away. We've given away lots of baby gear and cots and toys and all those kind of things. Because if we're not using it, we're going to give it away. Otherwise, where does it go? The garage, right? And you forget about it until you have to move house again. And you go, oh, that's right. I forgot about all that. And, and so we said, let's get it out into circulation wherever the people can benefit from it. And we have benefited from others doing the same thing towards us. And what we've seen happen is that we turn stuff into stories, into stories. And you don't miss the stuff. But man, you remember the stories. You forget about the stuff. You never forget about the stories. Whether those stories about our daughters or about new parents who just had a baby or about people in our neighborhood, we have these humbling stories of the way stuff has helped others' needs with stuff you no longer have need. See, we all have factors in how we make our decisions about money, right? We make financial decisions with certain factors in mind. We all do. And even if you haven't written them down, and even if you don't intentionally kind of have a list in your head, every time you pull out your FPOS card, every time you think about a financial decision, you factor in something, something, before you pay the money for that thing. And, and what I want to ask you to consider is a factoring question because this could free you up, free you up to become more of the kind of person that you actually want to be anyway. Here's the question. Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? Simple question. More stuff or more stories? Because here's the reality to help you make that decision. No one's going to talk about your stuff. No one's going to talk about your stuff. In the end, they're all going to tell stories about you. Look, when it comes to stuff, I get it. We got to make a living. We got to pay our bills. We got to get kids to school. I get all that. I'm not advocating irresponsible living. But what I am asking you is to remember to factor in this question what do you want? Do you want stuff or do you want stories that are told about you? See, that's the point of whole Jesus' story is that money can add meaning to life, but when you use it as a means to an end, when it goes beyond you. So it's, it's about what other stories you want people to tell about you in your funerals and things. See, Jesus' teaching is not done here on the parable. It goes on. He continues. And he says, whoever, whoever. And when he says whoever, who he means is whoever. All right, whoever, everyone. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Or other translations say, who will trust true riches to you? See, Jesus' point is simply this. No matter how much you have, your money, your wealth, your possessions, my money, my wealth, my possessions, all of it is just a means to an end. It's, it's only a tool. And from the kingdom of God's perspective, it's also a test. It's a test. 
And like the manager in the parable, we all have a little bit of money and we all have a little bit of time and a little bit of resources and we're basically being tested to determine whose kingdom are you most devoted towards. Are you most devoted to the beginning and the end book-ended kingdom of this world or the kingdom where you have life and then eternity that goes beyond what you can see? Bookends to the physical life or a kingdom that goes beyond that. But Jesus still isn't done. He goes on and says this. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property. What? You should stop there. You should underline that. Someone else's property? What are you talking about? I mean, it's my paycheck. It's, it's my money. I own the papers to my house. I pay that mortgage. I have the papers to my car. This is all my stuff. It's in my garage. I know my stuff. But he goes on, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? See, if your money could talk, if my money could talk, I think it would confirm what Jesus is saying in this story. And your money would remind you, I'll still be here when you're gone. And the moment you think you own me, I own you. Because like the money manager, you're a steward. You're a manager. You're not an owner. And the fact is that you're going to leave it indicates that you probably don't own it in the first place. Or if you did, you would take it with you. But if you're not an owner and you're a manager, you have to ask the question, who are you managing it for? Who? For who? I mean, if you're just an accident of some evolution or natural selection or something, I don't know how to answer that for you. I don't know how to answer who you're managing it for. Because we all leave it behind. We all know that. No one argues that. We all leave it behind. But if in the beginning... If in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and if in the beginning God created humankind in his image, and if in the beginning God made us a race that was a steward of all of this planet, and he gave each of us a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity and a little bit of resources to manage, all of a sudden this starts to make really good sense. And Jesus says, manage it well. See, if your money could talk, it would remind us, I'm a means. I'm a means. I'm not an end. I'm a tool. I'm a test. And, and I could add meaning to your life, but don't get confused by this. I'm not the meaning of life. So what does all this mean? Where do we start? We're going to dive into this more next week. But what do we do with all this? I think the place to start is the place Jesus starts and where he's pointing to right now. The place to start is not about the amount of money. The place to start isn't even really about the percentage of money. The place to start is a bigger question, much bigger question. It's a question that seems to have nothing to do with money, but really it has everything to do with money. So here's the key question I want to leave us with, and we'll pick this up again next week. Key question. If being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning and purpose, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? Make sense? If being a means to an end goes beyond you, and it's what gives your life purpose and meaning, to what ends is that life going to be lived? It doesn't have to be one thing. 
Uh, it's ends, plural. Uh, so it shouldn't be one thing. Uh, to be an ends to do. What do you want to do with your life? To be the means towards. What do you want people to celebrate about you when you're gone? What testimonies do you want people swapping around after your funeral when they're having asparagus rolls or whatever? And, and they're telling stories about you when you're no longer along. What are the stories that you want them to tell about you? Because I know the story you don't want to be told about you because you've all attended lots of funerals, and you think about it, no one gets up into the mic during open mic sessions at a funeral and shares stories about accumulation and consumption and upgrades, and oh, they're just so fashion forward, and, and their house, man, their house was so full of stuff. You don't hear those stories, right? If you know, no one talks about that. The meaning of life being remembered today, no one chooses that list about all that stuff. You don't decide the ends that you want your life to be a means towards. Culture pushes you into consumption. It pulls you away from meaning and pushes you into stuff. We know this already. We already know this. And you don't want to spend another season of life like that. No one does. You don't want people sitting around having their asparagus roll saying, oh man, she ate, she drank, she was married, and she died. And I didn't even get halfway through my asparagus roll. That's not the stories you want told about you. When you answer the big question and you start wrapping your heart around the answer to the big question, your wallet follows. Your money follows. Because money is a means to an end. It's a tool. It's not a goal. And we've all lived long enough to have seen that in other people's lives. We've all experienced enough joy also what it's like to see people be generous with their lives. So when you answer the big question, what happens is something happens to your heart. But until you answer that big question, you just kind of follow the money. And that's a hard life to swallow. Because what happens is at the end, you only have yourself to show for yourself, along with some stuff that everybody's fighting over when you're gone. No one wants that. No one wants that for you. God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want your money. He wants something bigger and better for you. So that's the question. We wrestle with this. If being a means to an end is what gives life meaning, to what ends do you want your life to be a means? And when you identify that, and you embrace that answer to that question, your money begins to follow. And you begin to view everything you own and everything that comes your way as a means to an end, the way it was intended to be, the way God always intended it to be. And we're going to pick this up next week after you have a week. Sit in that question. What do you want your life to be a means to what type of end? And then we'll pick up on how to do this next week. Let's pray. Father God, this money question just highlights so many things. Who do I serve? How do I serve? What's my life about? What's the purpose for? What's the kingdom I'm investing in? And where are you in that big picture? So God, I pray that you give each one of us the courage over this next week to sit in that question. What 
do you want for our lives to be a means towards what end? Help us to sit with that, to wrestle with it, and then to embrace that answer so that we can live with integrity and confidence knowing that that's our purpose. And our time and our resources and our, and our money is going to follow that purpose. So God, help us as we look at this money stuff over the next week or two. Help us to put you first in this. Help us to put your end to this first. But most importantly, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would whisper to each one of us, that you would touch our hearts and that we would be able to step back and make a decision that the end that we want our life to be amends towards is the end that you want our lives to be a means to.